Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Hey friends, Father Frank Pavone here, National Director of Priests for Life. Welcome to Praying for America. America has made a big right turn. Not thanks to those who are in power now, but thanks to the man whose voice you just heard. And I'm going to reflect on that. Actually, I want to share with you tonight a talk I gave recently at a very prestigious conservative conference. They asked me to give a uh, short dinnertime talk about the uh, victory in the Supreme Court that we had in June over the pro-life, the reversal of Roe v. Wade. And we've talked about that, of course, a lot on this program, but I think you'll appreciate the, uh, the political observations that I made to this group of conservative leaders, many of whom you would know, and uh, we get together uh, regularly for these conferences. Then I also want to give you more good news for the Republicans as we get very, very uh, close to the uh, midterms, the completion of the midterms, I should say, because the voting has already begun. And, uh, and I want to do some prayers tonight. I, I want to do a special thing with you here tonight. We're all people of prayer. You know, we know that when we pray for America, uh, it, there's different types of prayer that we employ. So I want to pray a prayer of repentance to start with here tonight from the Psalms, asking God forgiveness for our sins. Even if we personally aren't the ones doing the sinning, there's a lot of sinning being done, including by those in leadership currently in our country. I'm going to pray for repentance. Then I'm going to share with you what I have to share. Then at the end of the program, I want to pray a psalm of thanksgiving and praise, because praying for America includes thanking God for all the blessings in America, including the blessing of America itself, right? Okay, so let's do that with the help of the Word of God. Let's go to Psalm 51. And by the way, as you watch in the comments, wherever you're watching, whatever platform you're using, put your prayer intentions. How can we pray for you? Because our intention always is to include those prayers, lifting up each other to the Lord as we lift up our beloved country. So Psalm 51. Let's keep in mind as we pray this psalm, all the wrongdoing, all the destructive activity, all the rejection of faith and of freedom and of values and of security uh, of, uh, uh, going on against our country right now. Let's ask the Lord's forgiveness. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. In the greatness of your compassion blot out my offense. Wash me more and more from my guilt and of my sin, cleanse me. For I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned. What is evil in your sight, I have done. That you may be justified when you give sentence, be without reproach when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear rejoicing and gladness that the bones you have crushed may revive. From my sins turn away your face, blot out all my guilt. A pure heart create for me, O God. Put a steadfast spirit within me that I may 
that do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall proclaim your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. The bulls will be offered on your altar. Let us pray. Lord, we do ask your forgiveness for the sins of America, for the sins of our leaders, for the sins of those who who really hate this country. Lord, for the sins of them attacking the country rather than simply leaving it. Or perhaps having the grace to respect it. We pray for forgiveness for the innocent blood shed on our land by abortion and by all the other crimes and for those responsible for bringing these crimes about, encouraging them, creating the circumstances where these crimes flourish, allowing people to come across the border who should not be here, who have evil intent. Lord God, we, we ask forgiveness. There is much to ask forgiveness for, but we take comfort in the fact that you are a God of mercy. But we ask you in your mercy, Lord, pour out the gift of repentance in the first place. Because you forgive us the sins of which we repent. And we know, Lord God, that there are many who are sinning who are not even interested in repenting. Give them, therefore, the gift of repentance that you may then indeed give them the gift of forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgive us our sins, Lord, because there is not one among us who is without sin. We come before you humbly. We come before you repentant ourselves. And we ask you to cleanse us as the psalmist just prayed, and we prayed with him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. More good news for the Republicans in this election. Let me uh, share with you, this just came out today. Republicans hold a five-point edge in competitive congressional districts. Competitive districts. You know, when you see polling, you have to ask, well, who's being polled? You might see polls talking about likely voters nationwide and say, oh, and it might say, oh, the Democrats have a, are ahead by a few points. Yeah. So tell me how much difference is going to make that uh, you're, you're taking into account the massive lead they have in places like California and New York. Looking nationwide doesn't tell you very much about what the outcome of the election is going to be, especially if you're asking who's going to control Congress. You've got to be very discerning when you hear poll numbers. Because some polls will show, oh, well, Democrats have a couple, there are a couple of points ahead. Yeah, but it's, if it's a national poll, New York, California, those states like that are dragging the statistics in that direction. Look at the competitive 
races. And now you're talking, okay? Likely voters in the competitive races. What we see today from a new CNN poll, five points lead by the Republicans. That means in reality, it's much more, right? A total of 48% of likely voters said they would support the Republican candidate, 43% the Democrat in the competitive races. These, of course, determine who's going to control Congress. Um, Those who are extremely motivated to vote this year. Now, this is interesting because the Democrats, they don't have much to run on, and they've been trying to get their people extremely motivated over the abortion issue. Oh, Roe v. Wade is reversed. Oh, how terrible. And yet this poll showed that Republicans hold the advantage there. 52% to 46% in terms of being more motivated to vote. That's very good news. The lead expands when you look at extremely motivated voters. in Again, in competitive districts, Republicans leading 55% to 45%. This is really good stuff. And which, when asked which parties, which parties' policies would move the country in the right direction, voters in the competitive district said, Republicans, 54% to 45%. So I thought I'd start by giving you that good news. Friends, work harder than ever. Work as if these statistics were not the case, but let these statistics motivate you to work even more. Now, the country has made a big right turn on a number of, 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 in a number of ways, specifically some Supreme Court decisions that have favored life and favored religious freedom. I just want to share with you now some remarks I recently gave at a major conservative conference and uh, share with you what was the journey of the 50 years from the time Roe v. Wade came down, 1973, ushering in literally a holocaust of unborn children. And not only that, but it harmed our American political system. And I speak about that. Down to June 24th, 2022, when Roe v. Wade was thrown out the window by the court rather forcefully. Let's take a listen to the talk that I recently gave. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Thank you so very much. Eleven and a half years ago, I stood at the bedside of a man who was dying in his home apartment in New York City. You saw him in that video. He was an abortionist who became pro-life. In fact, as he described it, he uncaged the abortion monster in the United States. He was the key architect of the abortion industry, and I knew him well, Dr. Bernard Nathanson. And when I went into his room that last time that I saw him, he could hardly talk. I had to put my head down to, to his, and the first words he said to me in that whisper that took every ounce of his energy were these. Father Frank, how goes the crusade? He wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about you and me and all those on the front lines of this movement trying to undo 
the evil he had unleashed as he himself was trying to undo it. How goes the crusade? A crusade launched by that Roe v. Wade decision in 1973 that said we could not protect the unborn, at least not until viability, because there was a constitutional right to abortion. A decision that took away not only their right to live, but our right to legislate on it and to protect them if we wanted to. It launched a crusade for life that prayed and marched, taught and preached and published and broadcasted and gave counsel through the pregnancy center movement and gave healing through the healing movements after abortion and worked to elect pro-life candidates and to lobby them and to pass pro-life laws and to directly intervene in front of abortion facilities and to do legal work and to do research, all these different varieties of the movement, a crusade that you yourselves have been involved in and CNP down to each and every member without exception has been at the heart and soul of this movement and encouragement to those of us who are in it on a full-time leadership basis, but each and every one of you and so many CNP members who have gone on before and are observing this victory from the life to come. We can think of Phyllis Schlafly as one outstanding example. And Jack, and Jack and Barbara Wilkie as, as other, I mean, they sat with us at these tables, at these CNP meetings, and so many others. We all, we all rejoice tonight. But brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be surprised that Roe v. Wade has come to an end. You know why? Because it wasn't a mighty fortress. Roe v. Wade can better be understood as a dilapidated building standing on a fake foundation that was in disrepair, that had already been partially dismantled, that was crumbling and unoccupied, that was Roe v. Wade. And it became more and more dilapidated as the years and the decades went on. You know, it was very weak right from its inception, not only because it had the, the waves of human his, uh, American history against it, and there was no right to abortion ever conceived or recognized in any American law or state or federal court or state or federal constitution or scholarly treatise. It came out of thin air when Roe v. Wade came about. The winds and waves of American history were against it from day one. And not only that, but it was very weak in its foundation. Do you know that it had no record? The Roe v. Wade case had no record. And it had no appellate review either. It went from the district court straight up to the Supreme Court. And many of the justices were confused about what they were going to be arguing about because many of them thought it was about the question of federal jurisdiction in intervening in state criminal proceedings. They didn't think they were going to decide whether there was a constitutional right to abortion. Roe v. Wade, when it comes to viability, which was a clear defining line both in it and in the Casey decision, you know when viability came up? Not in the oral arguments, not in the briefs. Came in a memo circulated among the justices one month before the decision. Roe v. Wade. Casey came along, of course, in 1992 and largely dismantled Roe throughout the trimester framework, changed the standard of review, invented a new one that was similarly disconnected from the Constitution, 
did not endorse its reasoning, came very close to overturning it, but kept it around simply because it had been around. There was a growing national outcry against Roe v. Wade. In the decade before Planned Parenthood versus Casey, the United States as amicus curiae in five different cases. You know, the Supreme Court ruled on abortion-related matters about two dozen times since Roe v. Wade. In five different cases, the United States argued to reverse Roe, including in Casey itself. And then, of course, President Reagan, 10 years after Roe v. Wade, wrote Abortion and the Conscience of the Nation. You remember that? And in it, he said, I am convinced if the Supreme Court re-examines Roe, it will change its mind and correct its course. And how right he was. Justice Clarence Thomas's confirmation hearing, have you seen Created Equal, the movie about his life in his own words? <laughs> Justice Thomas says there, he says the Judiciary Committee, headed by a certain Joe Biden, Brandon, said, <laughs> Clarence Thomas said that committee was concerned above all with one question, which was how would I rule on Roe versus Wade? Well, God bless President George Bush, 41, for putting Clarence Thomas there, those who stuck with him and defended him, and what he has done through the years what he has done through the years. And then, of course, with the election of George W. Bush and his re-election, how many voters were motivated by the fact that the Supreme Court was in the balance? And, of course, he gave us Justice Alito, who wrote the Dobbs opinion. And then, of course, the election of 2016 rolled around. Remember the CNN exit poll said that 20% of the voters said the most important motivating factor for them was the Supreme Court. And in October of 2016, President candidate Donald Trump was asked, oh, you, well, do you want to reverse Roe v. Wade? You remember his answer? He says, if I get to a point, these are his exact words, if I get to a point two or three justices to the Supreme Court, the reversal of Roe v. Wade will happen automatically. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, there has been a national outcry against this decision and it fell because it was destined to fall, the Dobbs case. In the Dobbs case, 26 states called for the reversal of Roe v. Wade, Lieutenant Governor Patrick, Texas being right there at the forefront, and the largest number of sitting members of Congress ever to call for the reversal of Roe did so as they approached the court in this Dobbs case 398 state legislators, some of them right here in this room from 41 different states, likewise sent a brief to the court asking for the reversal of Roe and asking that they could do their job to legislate for the protection of the unborn. And brothers and sisters, the Dobbs case, having reversed Roe for multiple reasons, constitutionally you can sum up their argument about the right to abortion in three words, it isn't there. They went through a lot of, of very good reasoning, but it boils down to, it isn't there. 
in the text, in the history, in the structure of the Constitution, and all of American history, in our concept of ordered liberty. And as far as stare decisis goes, stare decisis is at its weakest, as those of you trained in constitutional law know, is at its weakest when it's a question of constitutional interpretation. Because if the court makes a mistake that affects the American people so deeply as this did, how do the American people correct that mistake? Unless the court corrects it, we have to amend the Constitution. That's a pretty steep hill to climb. So the court said we have to correct something that was egregiously wrong from the start as this was. This was an act of repentance by the justices. They said, we made a mistake, we did damage. They also said, it's not up to us. We're not capable of resolving this for the American people. Let the American people and their elected representatives resolve it. It's not up to us to impose a decision like Roe v. Wade did. Brothers and sisters, what a marvelous victory this is. Read the Dobbs decision if you haven't read it already you will be so encouraged because this is a victory not just for the unborn. It's a victory for America and for self-governance. That's what this victory is. And we celebrate tonight, the day before Constitution Day. Tomorrow is September 17th. The date September 17th is in our Constitution. Because 235 years ago tomorrow, 39 men in an interest to secure the blessings of liberty for themselves and their posterity signed a glorious document that we defend, that we live under, that the Dobbs decision defends, a document in which we can rejoice again tonight and renew our resolve that we will defend all the days of our lives and all the days of this republic. Let us celebrate, let us defend life, and let us save America. God bless you. Thanks, friends, and, and feel free to share that uh, talk. I hope it was helpful for you, encouraging, and gives you some uh, some detailed perspective on some of the things that uh, contributed to the downfall of Roe versus Wade. So let's pray in thanksgiving for this victory. And also, you know, the Supreme Court gave us really big victories on the Second Amendment, on school choice, on religious freedom, in various cases decided in this last term. And we also have a lot of other things to be thankful for. You know, a lot of the things that President Trump put in place during his historically successful administration are still in place, despite the efforts of the Democrats to destroy them. We need to give thanks for that. We need to give thanks for the momentum we have as we were uh, seeing in that uh, polling that we uh, quoted. And I want to go to the Psalms because Psalm 136 is a great psalm of thanksgiving and praise. And you can pray it with me by repeating the refrain that goes throughout the psalm, which says, for his love endures forever. Let's pray this together. I'll say the first part. You can say the second part with me, for his love endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his love endures forever. 
to him who alone does great wonders, for his love endures forever, who by his understanding made the heavens, for his love endures forever, who spread out the earth upon the waters, for his love endures forever, who made the great lights, for his love endures forever, the sun to rule the day, for his love endures forever, the moon and the stars to govern the night, for his love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his love endures forever, and brought Israel out from among them, for his love endures forever, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, for his love endures forever, to him who divided the Red Sea asunder, for his love endures forever, and brought Israel through the midst of it, for his love endures forever, but swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea, for his love endures forever. To him who led his people through the desert, for his love endures forever, who struck down great kings, for his love endures forever, and killed mighty kings, for his love endures forever. Sion, king of the Amorites, for his love endures forever, and Og, the king of Bashan, for his love endures forever, and gave their land as an inheritance for his love endures forever, an inheritance to his servant Israel, for his love endures forever. To the one who remembered us in our lowest state, for his love endures forever, and freed us from our enemies, for his love endures forever, and who gives food to every creature, for his love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his love endures forever and giving thanks for the love He has shown to you, and lifting up your needs in prayer as well, let us together pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks, friends. Uh, Father Frank Pavone here of Priests for Life. Uh, spread the word about our program and connect with me on social media, please. FR Frank Pavone. Get that Truth Social account if you don't have it already. Getter. We thank Getter for carrying our broadcasts and, uh, of course, Right Side Broadcasting. Connect with them, too, at RSB Network and on all the other platforms as well. Let's stay connected, let's stay encouraged, and let's keep in mind the words that President Trump always tells us, that we in this MAGA movement are the greatest political movement in American history, and that the greatest days of America are yet to come. We'll talk to you tomorrow. God bless. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.